Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome back to Spark Your Fire. It's uh, John here with uh, my buddy, Jazz. Uh, how are you this morning? Very good, mate. Good to see you. Happy Thursday this time. Happy Thursday. Uh, we've just got rolling long weekends at the moment. So, you know, I wouldn't work in an iron lung anyway, but it's good It's good to have a couple of fewer days. But that just means more time spent with the kids. So, you know, every cloud. Yeah. Um but uh, good, good to see you. We've got some really interesting stuff on this week. Uh, there's been there's been a lot of um, a lot of interesting news. The big uh, the the big news of the week or the last two weeks is probably uh, the the saga of Elon Musk trying to uh, acquire Twitter. I don't think we've talked about that yet. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna chat about that. We're gonna talk about the the recent inflation move, but the inflation is obviously just one part of it it's it's actually going to take us into all sorts of things about interest rates and uh, also growth outlooks for the for the economies um we're also going to talk about and this is going to sound dry but it's actually fascinating um israel has announced that it's changing mixing up its uh currency reserves so it's not going to be so uh euro us dollar dependent so there are a couple of uh familiar uh currency faces in there mm-hmm. and we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about bitcoin as well and anything else we uh you know we're, we're gonna open the shoulders up and we'll see what else we we chat about oil might come up it's exciting who knows <laughs> <laughs> all right well let's let's get started let's let's chat about the big news of the day which is uh elon musk um, acquiring a 9.2% stake in Twitter, and that was, I think, two weeks ago, mm-hmm. rejecting a, a seat on the board and uh, and then offering to buy the whole company for $43 billion. So, Jazz, what, what is this telling us? Is this, is, this, is this economics or is this politics? What, what, what is this? Can be both. So this, this is an interesting story, right? Twitter these days is the new media platform. But mm. in the past, it used to be CNBC, uh, Bloomberg, um, and all the other news channel, right? I think it's fair to say that younger generation or people like us, probably, if we want to read news, uh, or get some facts, uh, Twitter is generally a good place to go and have a look, right? Um, and Elon is obviously Elon. He's very thoughtful. He's a, uh, he's a smart guy, obviously. Uh, him buying Twitter says a few things. One possible option is that he's trying to control, you can say, media to some extent. Um, 10% of the company, you pretty much, even though he's rejected the seat on the board, but you're controlling the media either way, right? So that itself is a pretty pretty big play it's a it's a it's a power play to some extent right so it could be that or um, we have seen Elon doing some sneaky stuff in the past where um, he's pumping the prices up of whether it's crypto dogecoin or whether it's tesla sorry twitter this time he's done that with tesla maybe it's one of those moves where he's uh, done something similar to that and um, in the next quarter Whenever the results get announced, uh, there won't be anything on the balance sheet. He's probably already sold that because um, the minute he announced it, sixteen, I think it was sixteen or twenty-five percent uh, stock price went up, mm. uh, close to twenty percent, right? So close to twenty percent, the stock price went up. Is he actually playing the playing the game, playing the markets? And SEC is going to come after him, or it's more of a political play, 
I don't know. So, so I th- look, I think it's politics. I think it, uh, to, so. Let me back up the truck here. I'll reveal my my hand. I love this. I think this is brilliant. I think this is kind of how it's supposed to work. Uh, he's obviously unhappy with um, how Twitter works, the the platform. And while I think it's politics, I think you could make a very convincing case that um, it he's going to solve an economic problem. So the Twitter share price is below its 2013 IPO price by about... 20 cents or something like that. So so the, the current management haven't been exactly exactly outstanding in creating value for shareholders. Uh, and even though he's made an offer of the $43 billion offers, I think, um, oh, I can't remember what percentage, but it's it's I think it's about 40% higher than its current market price or the market price prior to his buying in. So um, it, it, it's a generous offer for a business that he thinks he can create new value for uh and I, I believe him i believe him. so what he's coming in saying that essentially he'll open up the algorithm and there is a really strong perception that twitter particularly after the hunter biden laptop thing in the, the 2020 election that that they were previously biased but in an obscure way and now they're biased in a really overt way and he will come in and just let free speech rip which i'm kind of in favor of um but I think he can make money while doing it. So if he opens up the algorithm uh, and lets people say what they want to say, generally speaking, that's a good thing. I mean, the, he, what he says is that there are already laws in, in the country. So you can't slander anyone. You can't libel anyone. You can't plagiarize anyone. So those are the laws of the land. So they would apply. But apart from that, it's just if you've got a, a an offensive opinion, that's generally speaking okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, but... but it's it's unclear whether he'll be successful. So what what's happened since is that they they the board launched a poison pill response. A poison pill is when um, you make it really unattractive to continue to buy to own the stock. And in this case, what that means is that their th- the, the the poison pill for Elon Musk will be because he doesn't have any a seat on the board. They can do this. He, the board would just issue a, a crap load more stock to dilute him back down. So they would issue stock to an existing shareholder to, you know, uh, dilute his, his holding and then he'd become a minority shareholder. So um, that's what they're talking about doing. And all of this to stop Elon Musk being the majority shareholder. So that's why I think his, his play is politics. But the response is politics as well. They don't want the algorithm to be revealed. And also, and if I may be a little bit sinister, and I know that's why people come to Spark Your Fire, uh, the the, the uh, Twitter CEOs and executives went to Congress and said that they didn't shadow ban anyone. And I think one of the reasons that they're probably being a little bit cagey about this uh, acquisition is if it turns out that they are shadow banning people um, and censoring then it means they lied to Congress. So that might be what they're trying to protect. Yeah. Um, he did uh, tweet on the Twitter, Twitter to say that the algorithm should be open source. Yeah. So uh, it's impossible to tell what Elon is actually thinking. His actions generally don't uh, match up with his words. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a space to watch to see how it plays out. But one thing's for sure, obviously, which is Twitter is the new media um, and controlling that um, gives him a lot of power. 
I must confess, I'm not on Twitter at all. Like, I don't pay any attention to it. So I'm the one guy living in the in the, the Stone Age who who's not. I don't really know what goes goes on in Twitter. Twitter from an outsider perspective, it does seem like it's a bit a bit rough, like it's a bit nasty and a bit of a sewer. But mm. I could be completely wrong. But it's yeah, it's well. interesting. You know, there's a lot of objection to a a millionaire or a billionaire, sorry, owning a media platform. It's like that that's. That's always been the case. Media, billionaires have always owned media. If it's, uh, you know, uh, Jeff Bezos owning the Washington Post or, um, mm. y- you know, News Corp, all that stuff. So it's it's very common. Um, but uh, it is it is a yeah it is powerful. So yeah, interesting, it's interesting. Any any final words on Twitter, mate? Uh, no, I think it's it's a very interesting play. That's all I'll say. That uh, him trying to buy in Twitter, basically, uh, while he's already working on a zillion other things. Yeah, that's right. Um, he doesn't so, sleep. Yeah. I, I think it's just a power play, power play to control the media, in my yep. opinion. Uh, yep. Obviously, he's going to throw his sales pitch on top, which he always does. But, but in my yep. opinion, it's just a power play. In the TED talk, he said that they asked him, is there a plan B? And he paused and said, yes, there is a plan B. But he wasn't, he wasn't going to tell us what it was. <laughs> I think the plan B, if there is one, is to partner with a private equity firm and to 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 buy it up with a partner, and then maybe they, you know, instead of him going in and sort of fi- fixing the company, so you know, quote unquote, that he sends this private equity firm in. But but yeah, who knows? I, I I'm not sold on whether he's actually trying to fix the company and if there's anything mm. broken within the company, or is he just trying to do something else behind the scenes? It feels like there's more more to the story than than just him trying to make some uh, core changes to the organization. Yeah. It could just be a pump and dump. It could just be, you know, getting the the, the share price up 30% and then. He's known least... for that. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. He's done yeah. that with crypto. He's done that with Tesla. He's done that. If, if he does it again, this time it's going to be with Twitter. And funnily enough, he figures out a way always to get around SEC. So. Yeah, uh, maybe just another warning. Well, we, we'll watch. I mean, I've I've got the popcorn ready, Jazz. So I'm excited uh, to to see where it goes. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. He, he seems to have his hands full, so I don't know how he's got the time for this. But um, yeah, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll watch that one with bated breath. Uh, so the other thing that happened uh, during the the last week or two is is a big inflation print by in the US. Um, remind me, Jazz, it was, I think, 8% or 8.3%. It was, I think, 8.5%, roughly. 8.5%. So mm-hmm. this is huge. And this is the biggest, you know, they say it's the biggest um, print since about 1980. But the interesting thing is they used a different methodology back in the 80, so, 80s. So the CPI of 2022 is not the CPI of 1980. So it's probably worse. Mm-hmm. In fact, it, w- it would be worse. Um, which, which leads us to interest rates. Jess, what 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 does the inflation print mean? Is it? Tra- I want to kind of go back to the transitory thing. Is it transitory? Um, and and what what should the Fed be doing? What can they do? And what do you think they'll do? Is it transitory? Uh, I think it's pretty safe to say by now that uh, it doesn't look to be transitory at all. In my opinion, um, it's more of a secular trend. Base case would be that it's more of a secular trend. That, that's the theme that we'll see this decade, uh, the inf- inflation story in general, in my opinion. Um, 
what does that mean for the Fed meeting next month uh, in terms of the rate decision? I think I'll not be surprised at all if we see a 0.5 rate rise. And in fact, Fed's future fund rate is already pricing that in to some extent uh, of a 0.5 rate rise. Um, obviously, they assume some of the inflation figures that were going to show up over the next coming months. So uh, don't be surprised at all if next month Fed announces a rate hike of 0.5. But I'm still in the same camp as you are that we are not going to see a lot of rate rises. I think things will start to change after the next rate hike that happens next month, purely because of um, what's happening in the bond market. The bond market is looking super interesting. Just with the very one rate hike that they did about a month ago, um, we saw the yield curve flatten and even go negative for a few days. Since then, it's back in the positive territory, or you can just say positive territory, or you can just say it's more or less flat. So um, it will be interesting to watch that, but not sold that they'll be able to do a lot of rate rises. Uh, If one rate rate rise has changed the bond market big time, then uh, you can see what will happen if they continue to, because uh, that means definitely uh, economic slowdown and a hundred percent recession story, which means stop QT, start QE, stop uh, increasing rates, and start decreasing them again to some extent. But I think Fed's always behind the curve. It's pretty safe to say we have seen that with the inflation numbers, and if that is true, uh, then they're probably waiting for something to break. Uh, and then they will try and fix it. So it's a it's a it's a fragile system. They 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 applying band-aids whenever they can when something breaks. So uh, there's a lot of impacts. And obviously we're not talking not, we're not even talking about the financial markets over here. So if you if you were to look at the what's happening in the financial markets since the start of the year, they topped, and um, it's been choppy market since then. So we are already in the Q2. And uh, if anyone is just holding onto the S&P 500 or any other, uh, even if you look at the crypto markets and all, uh, property market to some extent as well, uh, it, it tells you a story that it's, it's just a choppy market right now uh, with, Fed, with Fed's hawkish tone. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I think, look, in, they need to be seen to be doing something, even though I think they're quite happy to let some inflation burn some of the debt away. So I think that was always the plan. And that's why they moved to, they moved away from a 2% target to like a 2% average. Um, but that, they'll put, they'll put rates up until something breaks. I think you said it, you said it perfectly. They'll put rates up until something breaks. It'll be like 2018 when they, they, they put rates up and they go, did we get away with that? Yes. And then they'll do it again. And, and then something will break. And then the rates will have to come down lower than they were when they started. And that's kind of what I think, but I think that'll take a couple of years. Um, now the Fed is known to kind of put, put some thought bubbles out there and, uh, and see how the market digests it. So a couple of days ago, uh, I think the end of last week, uh, uh, Fed president Bullard came out and said that 
said he said something like, "Don't be don't be surprised if the Fed moves seventy five basis points." And I, I, you know, I don't expect that either. I think I think we all expect twenty five or fifty. But he said, "Don't don't be surprised if they need to move aggressively." And then yesterday, Fed President Bestick said. Um, Hey guys, we're going to have to move slowly. Like the, you know, he gave the complete opposite uh, perspective that the the Fed needs needs to move slowly, and that uh, we're not going to get ahead of ourselves, and we're not going to kind of kill the economy to to slow inflation down. So, it's it's interesting what um, what they're going to do. This week, the IMF also came out and lowered global its global growth forecast. So the, the Fed's really kind of stuck. Like they've created this inflation uh, through all the stimulus of 2020 and 2021. Now they're trying to put the genie back in the bottle. But if they if they do that, uh, the economy dies. <laughs> like a, there's not you know there's most of the growth is debt fueled uh, asset acquisition and, and consumption. So they can't stop that. Otherwise, there's nothing left. So it's, it's very interesting. I mean, I, so. Uh, so I think that you're right that they're going to put interest rates up probably 50 basis points, but I, I, I can't see them being able to do that much more. I think that they just keep blaming Putin for high oil prices and, and, mm. and leave, leave some of the inflation in the system. Yeah. I think they're just going to increase the rate, rate up, see how market sucks that in. Yeah. Um, what the, what the response of the market is. Um, one possible scenario that could happen is the yield curve inwards again. Um, and yeah. generally, when it inverts, it's anywhere between six to twenty-four months uh, yeah. when you see the recession. But it looks like that period is shortening with the system being more fragile. So uh, they'll find it pretty quickly. Uh, but agree with you. Not gonna. Not gonna. Uh, if I was a betting man, I'll say that nine rate hikes or seven rate hikes are not happening. Uh, the next one, the May one, is going to be the critical one to see how the market responds. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also comes down to how much market has already priced in uh, some of these rate hikes. Well, stock market's really liked that. The stock market knows it's, it's going to be fifty basis points, or that's what they're expecting. And the stock market loves it. So what they what the what the markets hate is uncertainty. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see where we uh, where we end up. And and in, in a, for our Australian listeners. Um, do you think that the RBA and the Fed are on a different different trajectory, or do you think that the um, RBA can blaze its own path? So that's an interesting question, John. Um, are they? Um, I wouldn't look at what Fed is doing in that case. I'll more look at what New Zealand is doing in that case. And one of the things that you were going, that you were going to discuss after this one was the New Zealand interest rate hikes. Uh, we've seen what four to five hikes in a row so the cash rate is not 1.25 that's telling a story and the story is that will probably lead to the same path and rba has hinted has hinted a few times that they'll be bringing forward the rate hikes instead of next year it will probably happen later this year and the later this year probably will be q2 oh sorry uh, uh q3 q4 so um the rates are going to rise in australia as well uh, and we are starting to feel that in the property market as well yeah, well, the, yeah, that's right. That's right. The property market's got two headwinds. One is there's an election this year, and mm-hmm. two, uh, there's an expectation of, of rate rises. So there's it's it's it hasn't crashed. It's kind of flat, really. But it's mm-hmm. there's certainly some jitteriness um, just below the surface. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch 
see how the other things play out. I think the next one is going to be the critical one to see how the market reacts. reacts. Um, if it's 0.5, which more likely is going to be, uh, that's the underlying assumption. Uh, it will be it will be very interesting to see how the market reacts to that. Now, on the New Zealand increase, so we we, just, we we you referenced that just a couple of minutes ago. So New Zealand is they've they've had a couple of hikes. I think they've, it's it's Four been five. two or three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing that is different about New Zealand, though, is they have explicit in their mandate the New Zealand Central Bank that they need to keep an eye on uh, house prices, which is unusual for central banks. Central banks usually look at consumer prices. And so because they're man- because New Zealand's had incredibly high price growth, and if uh, you think Australia, yeah, Sydney property prices are making your ears burn, uh, look over the over the ditch to to New Zealand. It's been it's been much worse. But they they explicitly have to monitor house prices, where the Fed and the the RBA don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, they say that kind of, but in the end, really, a lot of things that always do revolve around keeping uh, keeping the system. Uh, intact, yeah. And to be able to keep the system intact, the biggest market is the property market, close to about nine to ten trillion, or maybe more. Uh, even though they say that it's not a part of the mandate, is it really? I mean, realistically, the answer should be yes. But yeah, yeah, and officially, the answer will probably be no. Yeah. yeah. When it, when it comes to interest rates, I always, I always think that that, that you know, I kind of zoom out and I always think. The central banks are run by Keynesians, essentially. They're run by the economists with a certain perspective. And they love things like the wealth effects. So they want wealth to, uh, you know, paper wealth to increase so people will spend more money. And I don't think they really consider standard of living so much. They consider kind of spending and wealth. And I, I think that they, they would never, ever, ever jeopardize a house price crash or they'd never create a house price crash because a lot of the, the trickle-down wealth comes from the real estate markets across the world. So I, I, they need to keep house prices high. They need to keep land taxes high, uh, all that sort of stuff. And, and I, can't, I can't see, you know, people who are predicting a house price crash, I, I just feel like they're ignoring all the knock-on effects that, that, would, that, that would come from that. And the central banks do not want that. So, again, they'll increase the rates and, until they... St- they can't anymore until they see house prices coming down in mm-hmm. a way that they that makes them uncomfortable, and I think that's when the the cycle's over. Mm-hmm. One thing I'll add to uh, everything that we've we've discussed around the rates and the inflation story so far, John, is that uh, the none of these um, precious metals or asset classes really is acting as a true inflation hedge. To the, to the inflation print that we are seeing. Uh, crypto market, since the inflation numbers started to go shoot higher, has gone down. So Bitcoin definitely is not an inflation hedge. Pretty safe to say that. Uh, gold went up because of the Russia-Ukraine story. Hasn't really acted as a true inflation hedge so far either. Doesn't mean it can't, but hasn't so far. Um, and uh, Maybe bond yields, they 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 predicted that pretty well and went a lot higher. But really, anything else in the market hasn't really acted as an inflation hedge. I mean, yeah. commodity prices in general went up, but they were part of the inflation story, not an inflation hedge. Uh, so it's just interesting. Yeah, uh, 
You're right about, I mean, gold, gold is a, an inflation hedge over long periods of time, but over short periods of time, it kind of it kind of fails every now and then. So I, I agree that there's a reliability issue there. But isn't isn't the, the inflation head, hedge two things? One is oil. Uh, so a lot of the inflation, if you if you owned it, obviously, you'd be keeping up. And if you were spending it, you'd be falling behind. But oil is an inflation hedge. And the other one is real estate, because we talk about real estate prices all the time, but rents all over the world are going up extremely quickly. So mm-hmm. if you're a real estate owner, you're you're certainly keeping up, um, I think. Um, but isn't it fair to say, so yes, agreed uh, that the rents are keeping up, but rents are keeping up because the prices have gone up. Prices have, mm. haven't gone up because of the inflation. Prices went up due to the interest rates. Since the inflation number started to kick in, which was start of this year, the prices haven't gone up. Prices have actually plateaued or topped. Or we are seeing that was a that the 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 that during the COVID period, a lot of these asset classes predicted the high inflation coming this year and maybe in the future years. And they've already and the prices have already got that inflation story baked into them. Maybe. But this year, uh, that hasn't been the story. And the two true story for the Rent prices uh, has been actually the property prices going up, not the real inflation. I don't think people uh, have increased their rents because the inflation's gone up. I think they've increased their rents because the property prices are expensive and the returns are too low otherwise. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, bear in mind, people. I think interest rates is you know interest rates might be going up, but they're still extremely negative, which means that in real real interest rates are still negative. So when you take the interest rate minus the inflation rate, they're still paying you to borrow, um, and that's not advice. That's just that's just how real interest rates work. So um, so uh, they obviously need to raise rates quickly to to correct that, or just just leave them leave real rates negative. Mm-hmm. Um, all the talk of currencies, I think, t- brings us on to another very interesting article that you found, uh, Jazz, which is about a, a change in philosophy, uh, according to Bloomberg, with the um, the reserve assets of the Israeli central bank. So Israel have introduced some new currencies, and I'll let you talk about that, and de-emphasize some other currencies. So, um, Jazz, do you want to tell us about what the uh, what the Israeli central bank is doing and what that means is this typical of what central banks are doing around the world. Mm-hmm. So this was something that was discussed on the podcast before that this whole Russia-Ukraine story, is it actually really to um, have control of the borders, which which is the case probably, but is it also more than that? And it's a war of currencies, right? Um, and obviously since then, we have seen a few things happen. And one of the things is that what we are discussing today is the um, Israeli adding uh, yuan into their mix of uh, reserves. So before it used to be US, Euro, um, and pound, but lately they have also added as yuan. I think it was the figure was about 206 billion worth of yuan reserves were added, um, along with some a- AUD and Canadian as well. So it's just telling you another story of how the yuan is slowly being added to the reserve currency and the future probably is more going to look like uh, not one country's reserve currency being the reserve currency. It's going to be a bag of currencies 
and maybe even things like commodities and likes of Bitcoin and all. It won't surprise me that in in next couple of years, if we see uh, likes of uh, oil or Bitcoin being added into the mix. So I, I think I think it's a very it's a it's a it's a very interesting uh, story that has panned out this year, even though Israel market is not that big of a market. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, we saw Saudi looking into the same thing, which was adding digital yuan or yuan into the mix. And now Israeli doing it as well. So slowly, as we said last time, uh, the foundation has been laid for uh, the reset of the system or basically the currency reset. And this is clearly all following that path, I think. It's pretty safe to say. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, Ch- China can't be the biggest trading nation on the planet without and not use its own currency. Eventually, it's going to need to use its country, uh, currency and its trading partners are going to need to retain its its currency if they want to buy things from China. So, yeah, I agree. It's it's quite inevitable. I, th- I think it's interesting to see Canada and Australia as essentially what are, quote, commodity currencies being kept in reserve there. I think that's 3.5% each. Mm-hmm. Um, what that suggests is that uh, they're likely to trade more with Australia and Canada, which is which means that they're probably going to be acquiring resources from those two countries. Mm-hmm. And, and that means they're going to be acquiring fewer resources from, say, Russia, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that is interesting. Um, but actually, I... I my read of the chart, which has had the old mix of currencies and the new mix of currencies, is that the big loser is actually the euro. The euro is sort of diminishing mm-hmm. as a as a sort of power player. The the US dollar, everyone knows what that is. It's got a foreign policy and and all that sort of stuff. A couple in China in in the mix makes sense, and China has a US dollar peg anyway, so it's a de facto US dollar currency. Mm-hmm. But but really, it's the euro that got uh, diminished in that mix. So why do you What's think that, that is the case? I was asking the same question. Why do you think that is the case? Oh, right. Um, because I think that while Europe has wealth, it has it doesn't have any political power. And I think when it comes to currencies, it's all about power and not, and not necessarily wealth. Um, so Europe is, uh, you know, European background over here. So it, it, and a Europhile, it, it, I hate saying it, but it, in terms of like its foreign policy, it's, it's incoherent at best or non-existent at worst. So, so um, I, think, I think when it comes to the geopolitics or realpolitik, Europe is becoming a, a, a sideline to the real players, which is uh, the US uh, and China and also uh, Russia and Europe on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a shame Europe needs to be uh, more powerful, but because they're not there, their currency has to reflect that. Mm-hmm. Tend to agree with pretty much what you said over there on that one. I'll take the knife out of my back or, uh, <laughs> 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 but uh, um, so yeah, that, that, that is interesting. And we'll watch this space if, if this starts to be a contagion effect and other central banks do it. But um mm-hmm. But just to bring it home, the other, the other, our favorite asset, one of our favorite assets, is is crypto and Bitcoin. And um, I'm going to defer to the expert here. But if I'm not mistaken, um, Jazz, there was, uh, there is launching a Bitcoin ETF in Australia next week. Mm-hmm. What can you tell us about that? And uh, again, what does it tell us? 
So few countries, have, few countries have already done that launching of the Bitcoin Spot ADF, uh, and Australia announced that this week that they'll be launching uh, the Bitcoin Spot ETF next week. Now, I don't know whether it's exactly the Spot ETF because uh, it's actually backing some of the uh, uh, what do you call it, the infrastructure companies that are building stuff on it. Uh, but more importantly, whether it's a spot ETF or not, uh, we'll get more clarity in the news on that soon. Uh, but more importantly, it's another uh, stamp of approval from the legislators and the regulators in Australia uh, to make it a legitimate uh, asset class. Obviously, ATO is already, uh, in, in ATO's language, it's already a asset class because you are being charged tax on tax, uh, any gains or losses made, they are taxable. So um, I think I think it tells the story. And on top of that, uh, more importantly, I think it opens up the doors in Australia for the institutional investors and the hedge funds to be able to invest in this space. And that's, I think, the more important thing. Um, none of the hedge funds or the institutional investors will ever be that comfortable dealing with the crypto exchanges for obvious reasons, because there's no true regulation over there. Uh, over the time, obviously it will get regulated, but currently there's no true regulation over there. Uh, so I, I think it paves a way for the uh, likes of super funds or the institutional investors and all that to be able to invest in, in this space. And uh, we will see that happening a lot over the next few few years i think yeah i think you're spot on i heard an interview with kevin o'leary the the shark tank guy who's who's gotten into crypto the last couple of years and he was saying that he he said you fast forward 10 years and crypto or bitcoin or whatever whatever exists at that point in time will be the 13th um sector of the s p 500 it's it's going to be you know it's already an asset class but it's slowly being legitimized and i think that's what um, what you're saying that it's it's becoming a it's proven that it will be around it's legitimate it needs there needs to be some sort of coherent legislation around it to really give it that trust trust factor but um, mm -hmm. yeah I think I think that I think that makes sense um, and the and the other thing is I mean uh, if you look at the uh, returns uh, Kager hundred percent analyzed you cannot um, afford not to have some exposure to this asset class. That doesn't mean go all in 100%, maybe 1%, 2%, 5%, 10%, whatever that number is. Um, plus, on top of that, what's the global real estate value? Uh, pretty safe to say somewhere close to 350, 400 trillion, the global real estate, right? Even if, if it was to take just 5% of that, what's the 5% of that? Roughly 15, 20 trillion? Uh, it's a pretty, pretty there's still a lot the point is that there is still a lot of growth left mm. but with that growth obviously comes is risk so yeah. hence you don't go all in i guess but but uh exchange is slowly getting regulated licensed over the period of time more importantly it trading as an asset on the stock markets through spot ADF or through other infrastructure plays, uh, picks and shovels. 
uh, it's all telling you something. It's it's interesting that you you gave that example of the five percent of the the real estate market. I don't know if it's necessarily correlated, but where a lot of the big estimates for Bitcoin and crypto used to come from, I think from the uh, the Gemini guys is they used to say, okay, what's the, what's the market cap of gold at 12 to 13 trillion? Okay. So what does, what does crypto need to be to get to 12 to 13 trillion? And then they would come up with a price. Now 12 to 13 trillion is very close to the 15 trillion that you uh, just quoted. Uh, so maybe, um, maybe that is kind of where it, where it needs to land in terms of market cap before, before it properly matures. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot it's got a long way to go. I mean, currently, if you just look at the, uh, we talk, we pop, we're purely talking Bitcoin over here because that's the spot ETF that's getting launched, right? If we're purely talking about Bitcoin, the market cap of Bitcoin is still under a trillion. Yeah. Right? For it to be accepted as a mature asset class, it has got at least, at least 10x to go from here just to match gold. And we're not talking anything else just to match gold, right? And, if it was to be considered as a store of value and preferred over real estate, then there's no limit right now. It's, it's You can say 100x growth from here. That's true. That is true. Um, I guess the question would be, what, why should it eclipse gold? Why should it uh, become more valuable than, than real estate? But, so, that, um, so that's a, that's a very good question. And that should be discussed at some point, I think. But when you look at the what's going on in the bond market. When you look at how inflated the real estate is, leveraged, mm-hmm. uh, without a doubt it is, we all know that, right? Um, when you look at the end of the financial system that we talk about, there's not one factor, there's many factors at play. Uh, and yeah. the answer lies somewhere between a lot of those things that we discuss over this pod, uh, some of them already mentioned. And look, what we can agree on is that a trillion dollars market cap, it's a fart in a hurricane. It is, it's nothing. Um, <laughs> probably use a different analogy. It's a drop in the bucket. Um, so everyone, guys, it, we, we always have these great conversations. Thank you for tuning in uh, to Spark Your Fire. If you like what we're doing, uh, tell your friends, forward it to them, share it with them and and like it and, um, and uh, send us an email as well if there's anything you'd like us to talk about. Um, this is, of course, not financial advice. Um, I don't even agree with my everything I say, let alone what uh, Jazz or anyone else says. So, uh, so make sure you, you you do your own research. Um, but we look forward to seeing you on the pod, Jazz. I look forward to seeing you next week, and we'll chat during the week.